What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, bringing you a mega pod this week of all that's going on in pop culture. And there, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I am Pat Sheehan, joined by my co-host, Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, mega pod, dude. Yeah, Megapod. Whenever we, we do the Megapod, I always think of the Will Ferrell animated movie Megamind. Yes. Like, like Megapod, you know, my head is <laughs> like 10 times as big, you know. But a lot, yeah. lot of good stuff, you know. I think that's the, the just scheduling on our part led to a lot of great stuff bubbling up over two weeks that just can't be ignored. And we did ignore plenty of stuff. So curated, baby. Yeah, last stuff left on the, uh, the cutting room floor, but man, uh, we're going to be starting the show talking about the results of one award show and just rolling it into the predictions for another award show for next week. Uh, so crazy time. First time this happened on the podcast for sure. Um, we also got some music and some TV to talk about. So uh, if you want to hear all that, the second it drops, subscribe to youtube.com slash nostalgia pod and give us a five-star rating on uh, Spotify. Now, nostalgia on Spotify. Dave, we got to start though with the talk of the pop culture world, which is the uh, Academy Awards last night, um, had maybe the most viral moment that the award show has ever had since 2017. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, which is it's crazy that we started the podcast and like it just immediately has become like interesting, the Academy Awards, uh, for the most part. I mean, every year there's something mm. to talk about, it feels like, but right. last night, uh, while presenting for Best Documentary, uh, if you don't know this by now, I guess I'll recap it. Chris Rock made a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, a celebrity and star in her own right, who uh, has short hair, said, uh, you know, you're looking very G.I. Jane, too, or I'm excited to see G.I. Jane, too. Um, Will Smith initially laughed. The broadcast cut back to Chris Rock, and then you just see Will Smith walk up and smack Chris Rock in the face. And just walk back and the sound cut out. Um, by the time it came back on, Chris Rock was visibly and verbally uh, flabbergasted and uh, just moved on to the award. And I think everybody in the moment was like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, I, I guess just your initial reaction to like watching that live last night. Yeah. Yeah, as you alluded to, they, there somehow was a more viral, unexpected Oscars moment since they literally called the wrong best picture winner when <laughs> Moonlight actually won and not La La Land. They somehow topped that, obviously, this time not intentionally again. Yeah, obviously, I was really shocked. Initially, I thought it was a bit of a bit, uh, but then I think it, it's very obvious it's not a bit as soon as the audio cuts out. And of course, we've since seen the clip, heard what Will was yelling towards Chris and what Chris said back. So it's clearly, clearly not a bit, but I was just really like, just shocked because it's like so off script it's just so uncommon to see something like that you know um and then i started thinking i was like oh man that's no matter what side of the the fence you're sitting on with this particular issue just kind of tough that this has happened because will smith's about to win for for king richard win best actor his first oscar long awaited it's like the energy uh, definitely shifted after that. And to Amy Schumer's credit, she did make a joke about that later on. He's like, the hype seems a little off in here. Wonder why. Eh, that must be nothing. <laughs> thought that was really funny. Uh, but yeah, just, just an absolutely crazy moment. And you know what? The Oscars, 5 million more people watched it this year. Only the second lowest rated 
Perhaps this had something <laughs> to do with it. I mean, I, you know that there were a ton of people that weren't watching it and then got a text or uh, saw a tweet that was like, holy shit, this just happened. I mean, uh, I, I was honestly shook. You and I were texting immediately yeah. and we're like, is this real? Like, this is unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think anytime you see any sort of violence while an award is being presented at an award show, it's like kind of mind boggling. But ha- to have it be Will Smith is just like, yeah, you could never imagine something like that. And that, that's what's so crazy about it too. Is Will Smith is very controlling of his image, especially his career. Obviously, his personal life, his marriage is kind of out in the open at this point, but of many jokes. And perhaps that had something to do with him snapping. But Will is very controlling of his image, very selective in the roles he takes. He, his his career is very specific to him and, and, and intentional. And this obviously is just a huge break from that temporarily. Obviously, we saw him consoling with Denzel and Tyler Perry. I think it was Bradley Cooper as well. And like, I think Will, honestly, given the circumstances, his speech when he did win for Best Actor, I thought he weaved it in in a pretty solid way while still trying to get out the original speech he probably had in his head. Uh, he didn't exactly uh, completely apologize. I know that's not enough for some people, but I was actually kind of impressed how he's like, yeah, look, I, I became a crazy Richard Williams for a second. You got to be careful. Denzel said the, the devil will get you, you know, I was like, honestly, decent save, you know, <laughs> obviously you're not changing everyone's mind on the matter, but I thought it was a solid save there. Uh, I, I thought it was okay. I, you know, you could just see how upset he was. He was crying throughout the whole speech. Yeah. And uh, I think for the, given the fact he was so overwhelmed with probably emotion of joy, emotion of regret. Um, I, I thought it was an okay speech. I just, I, I really felt very sad for him in that moment, you know, and I, I felt worse for Chris Rock because I, I, I don't really think the way Will Smith handled that situation was the way I, uh, I, think he should have um i think maybe resorting to violence is not the right answer in that situation um but i felt sad for will smith because a man who has made so many movies entertain people in so many different ways um truly like an icon and legend in the entertainment world now in this like culminating moment is just like marred by this this loss of control or this this decision that it seemed like he regretted pretty quickly and uh, just really not not what I wanted to see for him. But, uh, you know, <laughs> just very, uh, just, I guess, sad and, and disappointing that that happened to be how it went down. I don't think we need to belabor the point. You can read uh, a lot of tweets and think pieces online about it. And, um, you know, I just hope that they're able to work things out, bury the hatchet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I hope this doesn't isn't something that follows him around moving forward. Yeah, on that note, he has a movie coming out in 2022 with Antoine Fuqua called Emancipation. If there's uh, any date movement with that, then perhaps there would be some behind-the-scenes issues going on. But don't necessarily think too much of that is going to happen, especially if he probably comments on it in the short term. But yeah, anyway, the Oscars did happen. Awards were given out. Uh, yeah, and what did you think about the controversy uh, separate from Will Smith as well, uh, as the uh, Academy is and ABC is want to do these days. So plenty of other things to discuss. Well, Dave, why don't we start with the broadcast? You mentioned Amy Schumer um, already. How did you feel like 
her, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall did. I thought they did okay. You know, I think, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the complaints with them as the host is kind of coming hand in hand with other changes to the broadcast that were controversially made, namely subtracting uh, was it like eight crafts categories from the actual broadcast, giving those awards out, having those speeches heard when the red carpet was still going on, cutting them together in a really uh, awkward way on the actual broadcast for the viewer. That whole thing has run a lot of people in the Academy, a lot of film fans, a lot of people that make movies, everyone really the wrong way, just feel disrespectful. And when time is not allotted for something so simple like winning an award, but time is allotted for a sketch that may or may not land from one of those hosts, you know, they're going to catch some grief. It's not necessarily their fault. It's more about that. I think the, the blame would lie with the producers. I did laugh at a lot of their stuff. Honestly, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like Billy Crystal. It wasn't like something amazingly written or anything, but I, w- I was chuckling a fair amount. I, I thought when Schumer was kind of roasting stuff, uh, when she was up there by herself in the beginning, I thought that was really funny. Like the bit about don't look up as in the Academy must uh, don't look up reviews for the movie. I thought that was like scorching, you know, and yeah, uh, to some people, though, that may be a little mean spirited to kind of belittle the movies that are up for awards there. I don't know. Um, I thought they were all right. You know, some some of the bits uh, can go on a little too long, but that's kind of the case for a lot of things lately. Yeah, I, I thought they were OK. Um, I was a little uh, disappointed that Regina Hall kind of just became reduced down to being like the single one on the broadcast and, you know, had the bit about like, oh, all these like you know attractive uh male celebrities need to go get a covid test because we didn't have their results they need to come backstage Mm. with her Uh, you know i was like regina hall is literally like one of the funniest people in hollywood and uh, i felt like it was a a bit uh reductive um schumer was okay i saw a few things online where like some of the jokes that she delivered may you know other people had posted on twitter at one point i mean who knows if if they were actually taken or not i don't know but um that doesn't really matter i i don't think all of the bits really worked like there's that one where she came down schumer came down dressed as spider-man and at that point i was like you yeah. just need to like move on you know right. she need to like get, get to the awards especially because they cut the awards out from broadcasting it live but then just gave like three or four minutes to it anyway and the broadcast ended up running long yeah longer than last year so what the what the hell happened here you know? i know uh, but um, speaking to like the disrespectful uh, no- notion of, of this kind of change, uh, it came out that, you know, they post the speeches on the Academy's website when people win. And lo and behold, they only posted the edited speeches from the broadcast for those awards that got cut and went, went off in the beginning. They didn't actually post the entire speech. And in the, in this particular case, that means like someone like Riz Ahmed, you get a brief moment of his speech winning. You know, it's like just well, a why would you want more of him, Dave? You know, if you're the Academy. And in this particular case, of course, Dune running it up, winning a bunch of awards. You know, only the most popular, widely seen movie of the Best Picture nominees. Maybe it'd be nice if people got to see that movie win. A lot of hmm. enthusiasm for that movie. So, yeah, I, I'd say just Will, Will Packer producing. Uh, he got to go. He ain't coming back next year because uh, this was not the answer. You can't piss off the people that like the Oscars the most by trying to find imaginary people that don't watch the Oscars and trying to get them to watch. You know, it's like 
focus on who you have because that's not what they did this year. Uh, yeah, I have to say it was definitely a choice to have Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya there and then just have them sitting in the crowd, but not not present or do any sort of uh, yeah. anything in front of the camera intentionally. How about Wild. doing doing a Bond montage for the anniversary, which I totally <laughs> support and having many Bond uh, film veterans in the audience, such as Javier Bardem, Judy Dench, Rami Malek, and have none of them announce this montage and said going to people completely unrelated to the that franchise and Tony Hawk, Sean White, and uh, Slater. Like, the fuck was that? Like, uh, doesn't make any but sense. They, they found a way to one-up it by doing a bizarre, uh, was it 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary tribute to The Godfather that yeah. um, was like bad boys themed. And then you had De Niro and Pacino there, right? But they just yeah, didn't with, with Coppola. talk. They just didn't talk? <laughs> what right. that was like half know. a good idea absolutely celebrate that movie like, people love yeah. that movie you know Definitely. have them there that's awesome but like that also that moment was kind of i think uh it hurt by uh everything that just happened with will smith you know that that followed it the energy was off at that point but yeah yeah i mean it's just it's just they're just these are just like like simple mistakes they they seem like right like i just don't understand and, and, and i think perhaps one of the most egregious things of all you have Samuel L. Jackson winning an honorary Oscar the night before. Denzel Washington reading off all his charities about how Samuel L. is such a great guy. And Samuel L. Jackson, only the highest grossing actor in history. You know what? People love him. People love Denzel. Why not have that on the main broadcast? That is a lot of value. Like, you can just cut a, cut a bit and do that. Like, I just don't understand, like the basics just being so off this time around it's just really annoying dave we got enough uh samuel l when they did the 28 28th anniversary celebration of pulp fiction with uh uma thurman and john travolta with him I, which is i thought was a weird choice as well it's like the 20th anniversary he's loved to celebrate them i suppose um i also just wanted to like shout out two other weird i guess like weird choices stupid choices first you have the biggest song in the country. We don't talk about Bruno performing it live starts out awesome. And then all of a sudden in the middle, we get the, the levitating with the baby remix of it where Meg, the stallion who sounded great. Yeah. Always love to see unheard her. remix to this point. This is new, but just comes out. And then is like, you know, doing it basically an Oscars remix to the song that doesn't yeah. need a remix. Just like right. <laughs> mind blowing choices. Also that song obviously should have been the first song they played. 100%. Because it's the song the kids like. But no, it got played at 9.50 p.m. on the East Coast. Ridiculous. Again, and then basic uh, stuff. all of the uh, the popular movie and the top five cheering moment. <laughs> I mean, Make, what did they expect? Just first of all, they didn't explain it. You know, there was like no. anecdotal evidence from people in the room. They're like, what the fuck was that? You know, it's not even like, oh, I don't know what Army of the Dead is. It's more like, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, <laughs> So, but yeah, you get what you deserve. And you know what? Shout out to Snyder Hive. They, they, they won. For real. Good for them. You know, I have to say, they, they actually really got me when they did the top five moments, though, because you start out with Neo dodging the bullets, and I'm like, oh, you know what? This is a great moment. And then it immediately devolves into Marvel and uh, DC comic movie stuff. And you get yeah. the fucking, like, Speed Force moment as number one. Hysterical. Just like... Right. Could not have picked a better moment. I didn't know that was like the Snyder Hive's like big moment. No one did from the Snyder cut. I did not know that was their go-to. 
That'd be like uh, Superman coming back or something. I don't. What do I know? You know, just imagine being like Dame Judy Dench and like watching the like screen, and you just yeah, see the army of the joke. dead, like King, just like running to like jump onto the helicopter. She must have been like, "What is happening?" Like, yeah, David Ehrlich had a good tweet about that. He was like, "Dame Judy Dench to whoever she was sitting next to." He was like, "Obviously, the Snyder Cut was better." <laughs> Everyone knows that. <laughs> uh yeah, it's just like. The Oscars, they they just like can't get out of their own way a lot of the time. And we, we talked about this when we talked about like some of the choices for the broadcast prior. But yeah, they, they definitely need to make some changes just to make it like a, a television show that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Celebrate movies and people that like movies will hopefully like it. Just simple goals, man. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they did give out the awards. And for the most part, it was very chalk. Almost all the favorites won. Um, obviously, that means that Coda did win Best Picture. It did get over the hump and defeat the power of the dog in the end. Seemed like the tide was going that way based off the PGA and WGA wins. But still, still an upset. And I think notable because this means Apple in you know two years and change has one best picture, something Netflix has still not yet done. Netflix, the makers or, or distributors of Roma and Marriage Story and The Irishman and Mank and The Power of the Dog, myriad best picture nominees, plus other stuff like Don't Look Up. Nope. Apple, one for one, best picture. Crazy. Yeah, and they have a really strong shot next year with um, Killers, Killers of the, of the Flower, Flower Moon. Moon. Scorsese. So. Man, if they were to go back to back, it's got to be really tough. Netflix, um, Sean Fennessy of The Ringer tweeted out that, that their last three like big pick or uh, best picture movies that were nominated for all the awards, that's right, um, have been nominated thirty two times in the last three years and have won three. So yeah, Chicago Seven is the other one that didn't win much. Netflix bias, I don't know. You know, I think that, you know. I, I guess what do we make of Coda as a best picture winner? It's not like your traditional one. You know, like you think about this in comparison to something like the artist. I mean, uh, maybe not the best comparison, but usually like the more artistic kind of like well-made movies, like even last year, Chloe Zhao winning. You know, it's like this is not that. No, no. And some of the criticism uh, of Coda would call it like like a lifetime movie in the sense that it, it is simple. It is unambitious as a film. And I mean, yeah, it was I think of the 10, it was my second least favorite i think if i recall my list correctly like now that i disliked the movie i just liked everything else more you know i I think something has to do with just the campaign apple managed to put together for this movie it also was a really long tale this becomes the first sundance premiere movie to win best picture that's pretty cool of course this was an apple acquisition out of sundance so that campaign just seemed to roll but i mean me and you when we talked about the movie in august when it came out on apple tv plus did not fucking think there was any prayer of this happening, you know, but it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a wholesome movie, makes you feel good, makes you cry. It has good performances. Obviously, Tricots are winning, amazing speech. Yeah. Um, it just makes people feel good and power of the dog has a lot of, you have a lot of admiration for it, but doesn't make you feel good. Uh, and if anything, you just kind of have uh, respect for it more than anything. So it's, it's kind of a kind of perfect uh, juxtaposition, I guess, in that regard. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of wild, but, um, you know, it's not something that would, you know, it doesn't anger me as a winner or anything like that. 
it's it, it's totally cool um but yeah i mean if anything i was like it, it did not need to win uh screenplay as well like i yeah. think it was it's it's the worst script nominated in that category <laughs> that that one's a tough beat adaptive screenplay yeah uh nevertheless yeah i mean i, I there's really not a lot of like major beef i have with any of the winners but coda yeah i mean it's it's not the most deserving winner but it's not like the most offensive one either yeah i think it just really speaks to like we had this i think coming out of the pandemic year where yeah um people were just looking for something to like feel good about and there weren't a lot of movies in the top 10 that really made you like feel good and coda definitely did that um, it highlighted, I think, something that the Academy is trying to get better at, which is being more inclusive and, I, you know, mm-hmm. recognizing people of all backgrounds and, and all abilities. So I think that it had a lot of different like check boxes, so to speak. And like you said, I think like the, the Troy Kotzer momentum, I think just overall, like the cast was very likable. So the mm-hmm. campaign became very easy for them. Uh, there's a lot of factors that probably make this a unique win. I think we'll probably see something more in line with like a power of the dog next year um, winning, but who knows? I mean, maybe there's, there's a tide turning. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of changes next year to the the show and, and right. to how things go. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, and, and just like you said, to the case, of the tide turning, as we said, when we did the Oscar predictions, the Academy is increase increasing. It is not as actor dominated it is more international. A lot of change, a lot of turnover in a positive way. As a result, Coda's win, I said, is the first Sundance premiere. More importantly, Coda only had three Oscar nominations and it won Best Picture. That makes it the first winner with three or fewer since 1932, Grand Hotel, a film that was only nominated for Best Picture and won. Um, also, notably, Coda is the first winner that has wasn't nominated for director or uh, editing something that also you'd have to go back decades uh, to get to. So there's definitely a, a switch, a, a tide turning. And in general, I think the Academy is honoring good movies, better movies, worst person in the world, getting multiple nominations, drive my car, getting multiple nominations. Like they're doing well. And yeah. I think if we just boost the profile of the show, you know, I think people will be very happy because how can you not be happy with Will Smith and Chastain and somebody new like Ariana DeBose and of course Kotzer, like that that's a great quad quad of quartet of people, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I gotta say, Kotzer and DeBose gave great speeches. Even Jessica Chastain, Chastain's speech I really liked. Um one moment that I would just wanna call I just wanna say I had a little bit of a beef with was uh Hamaguchi getting played off early by the band. I was like, come on, bro, you just you gotta give the international directors a little bit more room to breathe well, than that. And that was also frustrating because they weren't using a fucking band for half of the show. Right. <laughs> and then they started using the band. And then people start getting played off. The DJ up top, be nice. He wasn't playing people off. And the band, like, that's just really fucking weird. Mm-hmm. You know, before, they were kind of letting people do long speeches, which yeah. I'm totally fine with. We're there to watch people win shit, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really frustrating. Like, Hamaguchi was going to win just once for best international feature film. He had just came off an amazing fucking year. Like let the guy talk, let him vamp for real. Anyways, uh, Academy awards continue to be frustrating, but also we, we just can't quit them. Uh, we'll be talking about them as they grow closer to next year. Any final thoughts on them? No, I think we hit the most, most of the, the stuff, you know, um, 
get the Beyonce thing in the beginning kind of a sign to come for the broadcast. There's a lot of pre-tape going on here. Obviously, that wasn't Beyonce performing live uh, in Compton. Uh, I think probably the funniest bit of pre-tape, though, for me was uh, but uh, Chris Evans introducing Lightyear yeah. and saying congratulations to whoever had just won, leading all the, you know, Charlie Day uh, theorizing of did Chris Evans make five different clips for five different <laughs> winners? He must have, right? That's how they did that. Because obviously that was pre-tape. Yeah, he had to have. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would be really messed up if they just told him and he just like spoiled it. But I don't know. Right. Anyways, why don't we move on? We got a lot of music music to get to today. Some good music too. We have some high profile people that we're starting with, but someone a little bit smaller uh, making his debut with uh, peer pressure the uh rd you know i gotta say really like his name as someone that was an rd in college i just appreciate finally getting the recognition i deserve yeah i feel like he's like our leader now in uh in in rd's case it's it's his initials uh (laughs) hence the name audi but yeah this was when I was really excited to talk about Artie's debut mixtape peer pressure, just because Artie is a really interesting but not unfamiliar case of rapid uh, ascent into fame that is justified by the music. Artie blew up, first blew up, January 21 with Cheeky Bars, a freestyle I posted online. And then from there, he just kept skyrocketing and kept blowing up with more songs and more features. And now he is another rapidly rising UK rap star that has only just arrived. We recently just talked about Central C. Artie's been making hip hop officially even uh, less time than Central C has. And yet he's also so famous. You know, uh, I think probably one of the best data points for Artie is. He was on Tion Wayne's body remix. And that body remix, of which already had a memorable uh, uh, feature, you know, a lot, a lot feature verse, that's the first UK drill song to go number one in the UK. Obviously, UK hip hop is super mainstream in the UK, but to actually have a drill joint go number one really, I think, is a, is a sign of how far the genre has grown. And already, Man, I, I think he backs it up with his songs. So I, I overall, I quite enjoy Peer Pressure. Coming into listening to Artie pretty much blind. I think uh, I think the only thing I knew was that he was a um, British you know, drill rapper. Um, I was blown away that this was his debut because I thought this sounded really refined. Um, I thought he brought just a ton of energy. Like, you know, we, we're going to talk about Denzel Curry a little bit later in his new album. And the energy that RD brought was what I expected from Denzel, and we did yeah. not get that. And so I was like, well, at least I got it somewhere this week listening. And I don't think every song on here is an absolute like hit, but I think there's enough on here to walk away and be like, yeah, this, this kid's going to be a star. So yeah, why, why don't totally. you start off telling me what you liked or what songs stood out most to you? Yeah, I completely agree that um, there are songs that sound familiar, but he doesn't come across to me as a one-note artist. And I think that's what's most impressive about this being his debut, because you can run up to run up his credits up to this point. It's only a handful of songs he's put out, whether it's features or loose singles. A few of those are on this new tape. It hasn't been a long time, and he's only 19. But 
you know, whether it's uh, flow, uh, different switching up his flows and kind of riding on different beats, there is, a, I think, impressive amount of variety that he sounds comfortable in his own skin on different kinds of songs already, which is really cool. I think for me, uh, Flowers, parentheses, Say My Name, one of the singles, obvious highlight, of course, interpolating Destiny's Child. But the thing with Artie, whether it's a song like that or it's a song like uh, track one, Locker, which is just a straight drill banger, you just can't teach this kind of personality, this kind of bravado. And it's just so likable. It's just really great. So when he's talking about he don't bring girls flowers, but he'll give them good wood, though. You just can't help but smile about him doing some toxic ass Brent Fias lyrics in the moment. You know, it's it's so great because he just sells everything. And I love it. You know, locker track one. That sounds like a basketball team uh, walking out, running out of the gym pump up song to me. I love the word subtle wordplay on that, by the way, like a few lines, few bars behind. He talks about boxing and Rocky. And then he makes a reference to uh, uh, Fury and Wilder, referencing Tyson yeah. Fury and Deontay Wilder, <laughs> but talking about how he was made uh, Wilder. You know, I was like, oh, wow, that's like super witty, you know? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff here. Yeah, that wild, that Fury Wilder line definitely caught my ear listening through. Um, I actually, probably my favorite track was War, the second track. Hell yeah. Um, which I thought just sounded awesome i love like the horn that is like so funky like kind of like rising and falling throughout it and him and uh, is it itch or itch a h yeah h is uh the biggest white rapper uh in england so that it's a really cool like spider-man meme moment having them link up on a track yeah that i mean just they flowed together so well and yeah that that was just an immediate like i had to re- replay that the second i listened to it i, I also like how they juxtapose each other together because h is from manchester so he has like a more northern english accent Mm. whereas Artie, of course is from the very south from brighton so i think they even just kind of sound cool paired against each other like that yeah yeah, that that's just a that's just a really cool track just for like the star power of it too but it's also good yeah you think and oliver twist is one of the most streamed songs off of this debut so you Mm -hmm. think about these like first four pretty undeniable i think first four off this what other tracks call your ear yeah i think those i think those are the best i think it starts off at its best for sure Uh, i thought no biggie was pretty solid i thought come and go was all right come and go is probably a good example of him doing you know maybe a little slower thing kind of dabbling in other kinds of sounds he's not Mm -hmm. exactly melodic but he kind of acknowledges it on some of those songs. So yeah, I'd say overall, like for a debut, it definitely like really exceeded my expectations just because the, the kind of variety, but even like just, there's just kind of, I think advanced uh, ideas for someone that's very clearly steeped in UK drill. And like at the, at at his core, he is a drill rapper, but uh, I think there's a lot going on there and it's just really exciting. I can't wait for more. Yeah, I agree. I think the one song that like stood out to me as like maybe maybe put it back in the workshop a little longer was Pandemic, um, yeah. which I really appreciate. Yeah, he was going for a much more like thoughtful um, type of track, which I really appreciate him going right. there. Like, I think just like, obviously the idea of like Pandemic or this being like the new Pandemic is just so like it's so tainted after the last two years. I think it's like hard to 
like hear someone talk about that and not just like recoil and be like, I don't want to think about pandemics any more than I have to. But uh, I do appreciate him going there as a, a young artist, you know, trying to be thoughtful as well as bringing the banger. So uh, good for him. Uh, RD will be adding probably a song or two from this to our oh, yeah. nostalgia best of 2022. So check that out on Spotify. Let's keep it moving to Rosalia. Just an absolute star. I mean, we, we haven't really mm-hmm. talked about her nearly enough on the podcast, but she, she's risen to fame since we started. And it's just like mm-hmm. an absolute skyscraper of an artist at this point. Yeah, there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about just yet, just because Rosalia took her time dropping album three, you know, of which this is really the, the second album since she really exploded. Uh, Elma Carrer came out back in 2018. It's been a while. She's been taking her time. And now we have album three, Motomami. And we don't exactly dabble in Spanish-seeking music all that much, but I feel like Rosalia is just someone who's you just can't ignore because not only is her star on the rise, but she is a, like an artist artist in terms of the ambition, the experimentation, the scope of her music. And in the case of Motomami, it's like taking an extra leap because she blows up for like doing like what, like the twist on traditional Spanish flamenco music, which is very foreign to pop music and mainstream music and stuff. But now taking some time, she's kind of done another leap again. And it's just really, I think, carving her own lane amongst, you know, the Spanish stars. It's really cool to see. Yeah, it. This album blew me away just because you never knew what to expect from track to track. Absolutely. And it was almost always interesting, if not excellent. Um, you know, I, I think obviously an early highlight for me on the album is La Fama with The Weeknd. I thought mm-hmm. they just sounded great together. Also, Abel just like bringing the Spanish speaking singing, yeah. sounding smooth as shit. I was like, Woo, I didn't know he had that in him. Yeah. Awesome. reminds me of drake doing uh spanish a little bit too maybe it's something in the the air up there in the six i don't know yeah it sounded good (laughs) uh so i thought they sounded great together but honestly like you just can even like jump around and like you'll find something that stands out to you and we're going to be talking about charlie xcx uh and her fifth album here in a second but i almost felt like what I expected to get from Charlie, we got more on this Rosalia album where it was just like experimenting, kind of pushing boundaries genre wise that I was just really blown away by. Yeah, totally. I, I, she's just really singular, but she's also not taking chances. And I think th- there was a bit of concern from the, the music criticism community in between these two albums, just because of the singles we did hear from Rosalia. You had, um, uh, Sinalura, the the J Balvin joint, which is more of like a simple, you know, kind of Latin pop track, and it's like, hmm, if if they're gonna blow up Rosalia and just kind of make her like a Latin pop star, that almost seems like too safe and too um too easy, given the kind of music she really clearly wants to make, and it's really interesting that when we do hear Motomami, it's not safe. It, it's super experimental but like you said it's still really good and i think that's just really exciting you know there's there's lots of exciting stuff going on across reggaeton across latin pop and rosalia i think 
is cool because she makes all kinds of stuff within the general Spanish music sphere. And she doesn't, doesn't, like you said, she doesn't let herself get put in a box. And thus, when you listen to the record, track to track always surprises you. And you need to listen to this album multiple times, even if you are a Spanish speaker, because there's just so much to hear and listen for. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any run that really encapsulates what she's doing on this album and, and the expanse of it more than the run from Diablo through Como Unji. Uh, so you have Diablo, which is more like a, a, a Latin pop song in like the in line with like Gasolina, you know, something like that, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, right and then you go sure. to Delirio di Grandeza, which is a little bit more of like a traditional sounding like Latin classic sounding song. Mm-hmm. Then you go to Cute, which is literally like a Charlie XCX song, like yeah. just straight up like like Gex like vibes coming off it. sampling the famous uh, Asian farmer uh, singing counting meme. One, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. seven, eight, nine. Like the fact that she put that in a song, not as a joke, but as <laughs> like an intentional sample and then totally does not give up on the song and makes a really cool song. Like, like you said, that is some Charlie shit. Like, that is just Dude. so unexpected. Yeah, the beginning literally sounds like Gex, and then it just breaks through to her just singing beautifully, and then it ends in like a, I don't know, like a Gex production, like I don't know, like New Age neo. I don't even know. It's 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 right. craziness at the end, and then you get to Como and G, where it's really just like a ballad. Like it's just her yeah. like singing over this track, singing beautifully, and it's like you have all these different songs and if you were to just listen to it you'd be like how does this even make sense together but the album really never lost me like i felt like i just kind of moved right through Mm. seamlessly and so i was just really really impressed with with what she gave us right yeah it's also quite efficient only 42 minutes but Mm -hmm. there's just so much packed in here yeah i like so much of it i thought track one uh saoko just the drum line on that's fucking fucking fire you know Uh, similarly Towards the end, uh, La Combi Versace, the drum on that's fucking great too, really groovy. Um, and if you look at the credits on this, there's it, it's a who's who, honestly, like Hentai, produced by the Neptunes. You got Frank Dukes on here. You got all kinds of famous and less famous, but super heralded producers, you know, on like the kind of everyone based in LA, basically. Um, and you can tell that Rosalia still dictated this because uh, everyone seemed to be working off her vision here it's really great um i also just again coming off the track with the weekend at the beginning right la fama and then you immediately go into uh, bolerius which is probably the closest she gets to her older sound which is a more traditional uh vocal heavy track you know just i would really encourage people to just read reviews watch breakdowns because there's just a lot to like process listening to motomami it's really exciting yeah, you know, I think just more than anything, I left this album just being like Rosalia, who's already this massive star, just totally blowing up. It's just so like thoughtful and boundary pushing. And it just feels like she's a, like one of those really exciting female artists. It's really exciting artists in general. It doesn't even have to be categorized as female um, that that's coming up right now. So definitely totally. going to be following more of her stuff for sure. You know, a thought we've had before when notable albums come up, we really need to see a Latin pop, a Urbana. We need to see an album of this caliber from one of these genres in the general Grammy categories, an yes. album of the year, record of the year. We need to see that. 
It didn't happen when something like Burn a Boy's African Giant came out, even though it should have. It hasn't happened for anyone K-pop like BTS yet. This Rosalia record deserves an Album of the Year nomination at the very least. We need to see it. It can't just be relegated to Urbana categories and the Latin Grammys and stuff. We need to see an acceptance of the globalism of music because Rosalia is super into that and takes sounds from all over the place and is being consumed all over the world too. So we need to honor that. So I really hope next year that we see uh, Rosalia getting the best honors, not just the genre honors that you expect. Yeah. The Grammys, I think for survival need to embrace the global, uh, global sound, not just the American sound in in their categories. So um, why don't we keep it, Moving forward to an artist I already alluded to, Charlie XCX, who dropped Crash, her fifth, uh, fifth album. The last yeah. one on her Atlantic uh, yes. record deal, which is interesting to see where she'll go next with this. But A deal she signed when she was 16, a long time ago. She's finally yes. free. How old is she now? Like mid-20s? About 30, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, the, the thing, the issue with that is Pop 2 and Number 1 Angel were called mixtapes by the label, not albums. They didn't satisfy the deal. So Charlie's been making a ton of records. Obviously, people know this. But yeah, this is the fifth official studio album from Charlie XCX on Atlantic Records. And I think it's an interesting one for many reasons, a lot of meta reasons as well, given you know if if you follow the Charlie XCX career. But obviously, I was really excited that this was coming out just because I'm a huge Charlie XCX fan. And it's been almost two years since uh, uh, How I'm Feeling Now, her pandemic uh, COVID creation that came out in 2020. Which which we liked a lot, you know, and yeah. I, I think that's the thing is that Charlie <laughs> going from the, the I don't care, I crashed my car into the bridge, I don't care yes. artist to really just becoming the, I think at the forefront of uh, genre pushing pop, uh, neo-pop music is like, yeah. Her ascent was so unexpected, but she has fully established herself as one of the most inventive artists in the pop sphere right now. Um, and I think coming into this album, um, kind of seeing the cover, I was like, oh, maybe we're going to get like something dark, something like pushing the boundaries. And I actually felt like this was a little, little bit more of a, a step to a more conventional sound for her, which I didn't expect. Absolutely. Um, and I guess I was wondering for you as someone that is probably, I would say the biggest Charlie XCX stand that I know, someone that has had her albums on end of year lists and mm-hmm. really just enjoyed her stuff recently. Were you disappointed by that step back? No, I wasn't disappointed, but I do like crash less than say her third album, Charlie from 2019, which is a record I love, you know, or in pop two, obviously an iconic uh, record at this point. But yeah, I think it's really interesting that Charlie, on her last album on the Atlantic deal, decides to make her most conventional pop star leaning album yet. To me, it comes across as a huge middle finger to the label. (laughs) And that's just hilarious to me. But Charlie still is committed to it. So while it's not as interesting as the hyper pop stuff that really blew her up online, it's not as interesting as that. I still think it's really well done. You know, and I think it, it really depends on your expectations for Charlie XCX albums and songs. Because when I hear track two, New Shapes, one of the singles featuring Christine the Queens and Karen Polachek, 
Charlie's last song with Christine and the Queen's Gone was my number one song of 2019 off the Charlie album. Fucking yeah. banger, you know? Carolyn Polacek blowing up on TikTok, yep. uh, feeling l- lonely, you know? Like, does that song meet the hype of that trio? No, I don't think no. it does. It's not a bad song. You know, I think the beat, when the beat comes in on the hook, I, I quite enjoy it. But yeah, like that doesn't set those expectations, right? Beg yeah. for you, another single with Rina Sawayama. Kind of the same thing. That's kind of a soft, uh, a safe track. And we've never called Charlie XCX or Rina safe before, you know? So it's a lot of like meta thoughts I have about a lot of this. Yeah. You know, well, it's interesting to, that, that you kind of point out not only this feels like a middle finger to the, the record label, but also just like the imagery of Crash, you know, she has this big hair on the cover, but she's like covered in blood in some of the pictures for it. And like going from her second album, Vroom Vroom, to this, it feels like there's some like symmetry to like, okay, yeah. well, fuck you guys, like I'm out. And I think also, I, I don't think she wants to like give her best stuff on this, which is like fine because you, what you yeah. still get is really good. But like when you're right, when you get Christine and the Queens. Uh, Charlie and Caroline Polachek together, you're, you're going to get something a little more exciting than this. It's a pretty basic track, very basic beat and delivery from all of them. Um, and I, I feel like you kind of get the same with Beg For You with Rina and a, yeah. Rina Sawayama a couple of tracks later where I was expecting a lot more and it was a pretty like just generic Charlie song, you know, for mm-hmm. a Charlie song. But right. still some stuff to like. Yeah, honestly, that'd be an amazing conspiracy if this is like a Frank Ocean, blonde, endless situation where Frank uh, infamously drops endless to get out of his Apple like distro deal. And then he releases the real record, blonde, and blows people out of the water. If Charlie like dropped another record soon, I would that would blow my mind. I don't know if she's going to do that. She's going on tour. But yeah, I think that's a good thought that Charlie maybe is saving some of her best stuff for when she's either re-upped with a better deal for her or has gone independent. I hope, I hope she was independent. Just like go weird. Like she's got the fan base, right? Like she, and that's the thing. It's not like she, she didn't become Dua Lipa on Atlantic records. So like, what's a label really going to do for her? She's probably not going to ever make the songs that you need to be number one on billboard. Right. So therefore do you really, what did the label really do for you at this point? I'm sure she's thought about this for a long time. Also, just want to note that this was um, dedicated to Sophie, who we you know we talked about her tragic passing, uh, a longtime collaborator with Charlie uh, throughout her career. So mm-hmm. thought that was nice. When we talk about what we did like on this, though, I, I think there was one yeah. one or two clear standouts for me. I'm wondering if you felt the same. Right. Used to know me, um, obviously Great. using the sample from um, Robin on that. Uh, Robin's what song was that? It was um, uh, "Show Me Love." Sorry. But just that doom, 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 doom. Um, I mean, anytime you hear that, the song is always going to be a banger. But I thought Charlie just rides the song really, really well. Yep, that's a great one. I, honestly, I really like the, the the back half a lot. I thought Baby mm-hmm. was great, super sticky. That might be my favorite track. I yeah. enjoyed Lightning. Uh, Yuck, I thought was really good. Used to know me twice. I think it ends really strong. Um, yeah, that that's I think where I was most interested because Baby kind of reminds me of like older charlie but still kind of fits in this like more poppy mold that she's going for on crash uh conversely though track one title track crash that you know steeped in auto-tune 
you know, with this like kind of like repetitive like motif going on, it's like that also feels a little uh, different from some of the other stuff. It's kind of funny that like all those big features are just these kind of simpler tracks. This is not what you'd expect. But I think a lot of the solo joints towards the end is where she's at her best. Yeah, I agree. I think the back half's definitely more interesting, uh, which is like like we said, crazy to say, given that her the only um, collaborators on her in the first half. But yeah, I think I think we're gonna get better stuff from Charlie in the future. We've obviously gotten better in the past, but even bad Charlie is still like really really listenable and fun. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like you know, if Charlie Charlie doesn't need to be reinventing the pop wheel every single time she makes albums no. that's a that's a high high bar to continue to reach right so yeah i really don't hold any ill will for going in this direction um also i just want one note that stood out to me i did not see this shared anywhere else on constant repeat track four there's this like uh production decision uh, sound where i kept thinking of ti and rihanna's song from the 2000s live your life mm. specifically the ha," like that part <laughs> from that song was really memorable for some reason that like popped into my brain every time i listened <laughs> to constant repeat super random i don't know if she actually went that way but that's what i heard so interesting a little note there shout out charlie <laughs> still really excited well, to go see her on tour next month i still don't have tickets and the ticket prices are going up, not down. So I'm not happy about that, but I will go one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, you got to get tickets to that. Got to go see her uh, from one fifth album to another. We good? We caught up now? Uh, I think we're caught up now. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't know what happened on my end here. It looks like internet is just crapping on the bed. Um, I think we're good. We'll just monitor. I think we're good. Okay. So moving on from one fifth album to another, Denzel Curry dropping Melt My Eyes, See My Future. Um, man, I mean, when, it, when you think Denzel Curry, what comes to mind? Energy. Yeah. The best product of Florida SoundCloud rap of the 2010s. Yes. That's what I think of. Big Denzel Curry fan. Hugely anticipating a new record from him. We haven't had a full-length album since Zoo in 2019. But definitely a, a bit of a bit of a twist on the Denzel Curry sound that you expect if you're a longtime listener like me. So excited and uh, interesting to talk about, I think, this one. Yeah, I mean, we really liked Zoo when we talked about it back in 2019. I, I think we were just kind of like, he's able to like keep this energy, start expanding his sound a bit, and just sounds awesome. Um, obviously, I think Taboo, everybody knows where he blew up, but it's you know, been a little bit since we got an album from him. Got, well, I guess, unlocked, but I don't think... Yeah, really those are the, the Kenny Beats EPs. They're all right. Yeah. So, Melma is really the first, like, notable album in a few years and i was just really like struck by the direction he chose to go in this and it feels like denzel's an artist thinking a little bit more long term mm. in terms of you know i don't need to bring fire every single time maybe this is a good opportunity to start trying to uh 
come up with some material that's a little bit more reflective, a little bit more introspective. Uh, and I was honestly really impressed, not only because I, I think hearing Denzel be introspective was better than I expected it to be. I, I don't think I necessarily thought of him as a very like thoughtful artist, but more so just like bring the bring the heat every time. I thought this album sounded really good from start to finish. And he has some really high profile producers on this, so um makes sense that it would sound great, but I just wasn't expecting it and was blown away. What did you think of uh, Melt My Eye, See Your Future? Yeah, it definitely doesn't have a, as long a list of songs I want to revisit as, say, Unlocked or Zoo, or sorry, as Zoo or Taboo or even Imperial do. Like, I really like that kind of the Denzel brand of SoundCloud rap because it's super high level. It's really barely SoundCloud rap. Like, yes, he blew up with Raider Clan. He blew up on SoundCloud, but there's just so much artistry in all those past records. And like zoo zoo is like super indebted to all kinds of the history of Florida rap in general, even beyond SoundCloud. Like he's been a thoughtful guy. And I think lyrically he has had a uh, good wordplay, but he hasn't looked inward as much as he has until melt my eyes. So I think that's kind of like the key change there is it's super reflexive and, inward looking and who knows if it's super a product of the time he's spoken a lot about its influences on this album they're vast for sure but i still think you know like even when denzel's not making his brand of banger he can still really deliver i think fun storytelling interesting storytelling whether that's about himself whether that's a story a fictional story whatever it is uh, but for me, I was actually even more impressed with some of the subtle shifts to his overall sound on Melt My Eyes here. And I think there's a few clear highlights that stand out to me. But uh, yeah, even though like it might not be what people were necessarily thinking they wanted from Denzel Curry, I still think there's a lot to really appreciate about it. And like you said, long term, uh, best to still be investing in Denzel Curry because he's clearly coming across as a very intentional artist. And I do feel like we we get a few songs that maybe aren't as high as some of the bangers off Zoo or Taboo, but definitely still really enjoyed Ain't No Way, which has uh, yeah Black, <laughs> Rico Nasty, Jid, uh, Josiah Powers, uh, sorry, Josiah and then Powers some... Uh, Powers Pleasant's the producer. Powers Pleasant, yes. Um, I thought that song went really hard. Um, it had like a nice switch up. You know, obviously you get like, Rico Nasty coming in second, just bringing absolute yeah, classic Rico, Rico right there, like chaotic energy, which I just like loved that shot of adrenaline, especially after um, Troubles with T-Pain, which I thought was a nice track, but mm-hmm. T-Pain sounded a little like out of place uh, for right. me on this. Um, I didn't mind but, hearing T-Pain though. Got to be honest. I thought T-Pain himself sounded good. T-Pain is uh, always a joy to listen to. Uh, he always sounds great. I just thought, don't know if he always fits, but um yeah, and then I thought JID also gave a really like solid feature on this, which I was like, ah, mm-hmm. nice to hear him like doing something that uh, caught our eye a little bit more here. Um, what other tracks did you like though? Yeah, I agree on Ain't No Way for sure. Um, the last I quite enjoyed. I really liked his flow on that one. Uh, Angels stood out to me. I think you know, kind of a quick line, you know, referencing if I want if I want to be Jay or Ja, obviously a reference to his uh, parted friend, Existence Tentacion, with the Ja part there. Um, 
But I think the clear uh, Sonic standout has to be X-Wing because that is something that Denzel Curry has not done before, mixing super melodic chorus with the Denzel Curry raps. Not that he hasn't been melodic before. Of course, look no further than Clout Cobain off Taboo. He's yeah. done that before. But I think this this specific brand that he does on X-Wing while giving you those more introspective bars, I thought that was like a really impressive track and definitely the one I was running back the most. Yeah, X-Wing was another clear standout. The, uh, Ain't No Way in X-Wing back-to-back is the highlight of the album for sure. Yeah, just as like, just a really like beautiful song, <laughs> you know, and um, I, I guess X-Wing, I, I don't know any of the producers on this, uh, Dirt Work, Clutch George and Darko, not really uh, producers that stand out to me, especially when, when you have like Kenny Beats or JPEG Mafia right. um, making tracks all over, but certainly a standout. Um, I also really liked the first track, um, Melt mm. Sesh 1, or Melt Session 1. Uh, just the the percussion on that and the way Denzel just like glides over it the whole time just really uh, caught me. It really sucked me into the album. So I thought it was really eff- effective as an opener. Um, any any features or anybody that like stood out to you as a guest on this? Uh, I thought the smell of death was cool because that was a Thundercat beat. Thought that yeah. one sounded good there. Um, also cool to see Dot the Genius on a few songs. Of mm-hmm. course, Fabled Kid Cudi, longtime collaborator. Uh, I wanted more from the slow tie guest spot there on yeah. Zatochi, just because he's barely on the song. He's just part of the hook, but it's like a really like produced section. So it's like the slow tie of it all doesn't really come across. You would think, though, that Slow Time Denzel Curry are a great match for their true. What you think of with them with their high energy music? Alas, I'd like to see them go for it again with that one. Um, and then uh, I think the first single, Walking, is perhaps yeah. his best moment of just straight storytelling, just straight as getting to the bars. I think that's really one of his best tracks. A lot of. Um... Uh, I think there's a lot to take away from this uh, and I think just growth as an artist in general for Denzel. So even if this isn't maybe uh, our favorite album from him, I think it's a, a sign of, of progress in terms yeah. of him just as an artist. So yeah. really, always, really pleased. Totally. It's always good when, even if you don't love the particular direction, you still admire it because there's lots of undeniable aspects to it. And that's definitely how I feel about it. Denzel Curry, it's actually been the list of artists I have yet to see live that I really want to see. He's at the top for me. I just have missed him so far. And strangely, his upcoming tour is completely ignoring the Northeast of the U.S. and going everywhere else. It seems like a choice that will be rectified in time, but kind of weird that right now there's no Northeast states. So waiting for those to change. Well, uh, if you want to follow all the songs that we like from these albums and more, Check out our Nostalgia Best of 2022 on Spotify. But Dave, it's time to talk Halo, <laughs> the, uh, the TV series, not, not the video game, which premiered on Paramount Plus this past week. Um, hmm. The missions change, Pat. They always do. And in that, <laughs> this, that, that's a quote from Halo Infinite. However, uh, this Halo series, the mission did change too, of course conceived as a xbox original when xbox was originally going to make their own streaming content then of course a showtime series before showtime and paramount plus did a trade 
and uh, this now lives on Paramount Plus. Two showrunners made this series. They're gone. Season two, they're making a, with a third showrunner. The missions change, baby. But the chief has finally come to live action. And how did you feel about that? You know, I I thought it was okay. <laughs> like I, I I didn't leave the premiere of this being like, man, this is gonna be like you know the next Mandalorian or like you know the, maybe something grittier. Like uh, I don't know if Battlestar Galactica you would say is grittier, but like mm-hmm. it's not gonna be like that like expansive like space adventure type thing. Sure. But there were some moments where I was like, that was pretty fun action, or I thought that was an interesting direction. There are just some like choices to it that feel very, very similar to Mandalorian. You know, like the reluctant hero having to like kind of take this younger child around, which is, I think, definitely a a choice. (laughs) Um, And then I think there's also just like, some of the CGI or like digital animation left me wanting a little bit more, but mm. overall I thought it was, I thought it was serviceable. How did you feel about the uh, premiere of Halo? Yeah, I agree. I honestly agree. You know, I am a big Halo fan being all the games uh, like in Halo Infinite so far. I think it's a good foundation for the future. Campaign's awesome. Halo fan. This of course is a non-canon Halo adaptation, which was a great choice, given that there's a lot of Halo novels in the games, of course. Makes sense to just let them have an open book and do something. And thus, because it's non-canon, I don't mind that they're going to change some things. Uh, Look no further than we see Master Chief's face at the end of the pilot episode. We see Paulo Schreiber there. You've never seen Master Chief's face in any of the games. Bit of a change, right? But I really don't care. Like... uh, do something different than the Mandalorian and actually show your hero's face, let your actor act. I really don't mind. Um, but yeah, I think like you said, it, it's solid. I don't know if there's enough there for non-Halo fans to latch on to because the solidness of it all means that it doesn't necessarily differentiate itself from a lot of these other sci-fi series. And I think it's more about my familiarity with the lore the Spartans, the covenants, the specific designs, the sounds like that is what interests me because I'm already familiar with it. If you don't have a connection to that stuff, I don't know if Halo can really do it for you. And some diehard fans probably have said they're not liking it either. So this show might kind of have a issue with not pleasing either side. For me, I think it's a solid start. Uh, I actually thought the, the action in the beginning was pretty good. Uh, you know, that first big fight scene, CGI is a little up and down. You know, it's definitely not like the budget level of, say, like a Disney Plus, you know, franchise yeah. series, for example. But for a video game adaptation, uh, I thought it was honestly pretty solid. And I, th- I think a big piece of this, too, is Halo, not exactly like the best video game story anyway. Master Chief is really not a character. He is a cipher. <laughs> he is a cool piece of armor. He is an avatar for the player of the game. So if they can add any spice to the story, which truly is kind of your buy your numbers sci-fi tale, I think it's a win. Yeah, you know, I I, I definitely agree. I think think that's a good point. Um, In thinking about like some of the the choices that left me a little bit like, I'm not sure if that totally worked, but I didn't hate it. A lot of the, like a lot of times in the initial like, um, fight scene between the uh, 
Master Chief, the the Spartans, and what were the aliens? The, uh, the Covenant. Yeah, those Covenant, were a lot yes. of elites. We saw um, there were moments where they would go like into the helmet of the Spartans. Yeah. It was almost First like you were playing person a video shooter. game. And I was like, oh, they're actually trying to like call back to the video game in this moment, which is interesting. Yeah. And I guess like you're trying to keep that DNA, but yeah, you, you heard the shield regeneration sound at, at that time as well, right from the yeah. But then you also see them like doing stuff that obviously you just can never do in the game like you know the the like picking up a like long pole and stabbing it through a covenant right. person's like stomach and stuff like that i was like okay well i guess we're not totally going in the, the video game route um no but i thought it was like interesting i mean it, in in some sense doesn't this feel a little bit like the the story of like the most recent re, uh, most recent bad batch season a little bit like oh. you know like like yeah. the kid with uh plot the, wise, yeah yeah, the like robotic um, or en- engineered sol- super soldier who chooses to like go against whatever he's told. I don't know. Felt very similar to me in that sense. Yeah. I also just don't know if the stuff with like, uh, like like the political stuff. Yeah, the UNSC was, stuff. Yeah, I don't know if that was like fleshed out in a way that really made sense. I was just kind of like scratching my head a lot with that. But I'm sure we'll get a little bit more. Yes. Yeah season goes on this is a good point yeah you see dr halsey you see keys like they're known characters they definitely need the unsc side of the conflict to land notably we see them on reach so we haven't seen the fall of reach the big you know catastrophic defeat of which you see in the game halo reach like there's potential for sure we also notably have not seen cortana yet of course chief's ai i think the cortana performance and the relationship between cortana and chief that needs to be nailed to communicate your story because like i said otherwise there's just not a lot of story there so yeah i think ultimately a lot of this stuff kind of like it's wait and see in terms of how it pans out but in terms of just kind of like bringing the halo world to live action I think they did a pretty solid job. I would love the budget to get up for season two, just so we can punch it up and make it look great. Because in a sense, you can do a lot with the new that second season because you have an open book and chief. There's not a whole lot of stuff like there's, there's, you don't have a lot of like guardrails with making a Halo series, in my opinion. So I'd love to see them really go for it in that season two. So. Hopefully season one is enough to make people stick around. Yeah, I, I think I definitely want to check out another episode or two and see if it picks up a bit. But, um, you know, up, up and down in the premiere, but did enough, I think, to warrant more watches. So yeah. check out Halo if you have Paramount Plus or can find it other other ways. Uh, any last thoughts? It's kind of interesting to think about what Paramount Plus is doing right now. Obviously, ban- banger franchise edition now with Halo yeah. joining their blowout of star trek their blowout of the taylor sheridan verse with yellowstone and all those spinoffs and we know a new avatar last airbender will be coming as well so paramount plus uh, slowly kind of picking up uh picking up you know uh puzzle pieces here yeah uh i, I agree um looking forward to the offer so we talk about that when it comes out why don't we move on to apple tv plus which dropped Pachinko. Um, dropped the first three episodes. We're only going to be talking about the first two today. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, we we talked about this on our most anticipated TV uh, of the year episode a few weeks back. So if you didn't check that out, maybe you weren't aware. But it's based on the New York Times bestseller of the same name. Um, I just like was totally blown away watching this. Um, Not only is this like visually absolutely stunning and beautiful to look at, but I was just really more more so impressed with the way that um, they're able to like weave these three stories together so seamlessly. Yeah. The storytelling on this is really high level. It seems like you had the same response. Totally. I think the ambition and scope of Pachinko's storytelling is really impressive mm-hmm. and really exciting because like you said, it also looks amazing. The acting is awesome. The directing is good. Like I have no notes. Like I thought it was really mind blowing. Obviously, probably the biggest like creative name attached to the creation of this would be Kobanada, who directed half of the series. Uh, of course, we just talked about his new film After Gang, which we liked quite a bit. Check that review out YouTube.com/slash/NostalgiaPod. This series is adapted by uh, Sue Hugh, and then Kobanada and Justin Chong. Uh, directed half of it respectively and the most famous actor I think to western audiences will probably be uh, Yunya Jung who of course we remember from Minari where she won the Oscar uh, two years back but also uh, Lee Min Ho is pretty famous as well uh, as kind of like a Korean uh, entertainer and stuff so this whole story of Sunja and seeing it, her portrayed in three different uh, timelines you know as a young girl as a uh, like you know teenager 20 something and then as an older grandma uh, split between our times in South Korea and Japan like there's just I think there's a lot of ambition like I said there's a lot going on but like they're I think they're really nailing it so far like I'm super enwrapped yeah um, and, and it's like the little touches of it too right so obviously um we're not korean or japanese speaking people so we're watching with the subtitles on dave i'm I'm sure you notice they have the korean subtitles in yellow japanese and blue and as it goes through the different stories you start to see the languages blending together the way that the people talk and i thought just that was such a for for us being non-japanese or korean speaking people to show it in that way so that we're able to kind of see the blending of the dialogue, the blending of the cultures as Japan has uh, basically taken over or, yeah. you know, Korea at this time. It's um, just really like little touches like that all stand out. Um, you mentioned how beautiful it looks. Uh, the scenery and the settings are all stunning, but also like the costume design is stunning. Like every single detail of this has been thought through and so carefully mm-hmm put together it's uh, just a, it seems like a masterpiece in the making obviously it's or too late since we haven't seen the whole thing but yeah totally like if this lands like i i think it will it's definitely one of the best shows of the year without question uh yeah honestly like hats off to everyone playing uh sunja obviously uh yunya jung yeah. so good you know i think she really can communicate a lot without speaking uh, mm-hmm. a lot you know obviously playing the older version of sunja but also, um, uh, uh, Min Min Ha Kim, who plays like the the middle middle aged one, like the teenage one, uh, I thought she's like really great, and she's like not super yeah. experienced as an actor either. I think the key is like sh- her 
uh, connection, attraction to Lee Min Ho's uh, Hansu is like super believable and like makes a lot of sense. And obviously, we kind of expect this their relationship to get tangled and messy, given how I think this is going to go. I think Lee Min Ho also really brings the presence and like mystery, but still like like appeal that this Hansu character is supposed to have as like a uh, broker uh, position of power character, a Korean person who actually grew up in Japan and kind of um, kind of became more uh, in sync with Japanese culture, but it's still Korean now coming back to Korea as a different person. And then there's just a lot of like really interesting parts here. And I really can't wait to see it. And to speak nothing of the, uh, the current timeline where you see um, Sunja's uh, grandson, uh, Solomon played by uh, Jin Ha, who we saw in a supporting role on devs. Yeah. Um, I, I, one of the things I've loved the most just in the first two episodes that we've been able to watch, um, and there are three out, we just, we've only gotten to the first two so far, is uh, seeing through the timelines the way that the like culture has developed. And, you know, like they're really living in like very simplistic, like fishing, a uh, fishing village type yeah. setting in the early timelines. And then that's like Busan, uh, you know, obviously yeah. very different from what Busan is today. Exactly. And then you, like you mentioned, you have um, uh, Solomon. Is it Solomon? Uh, yeah, Solomon. Yeah, uh, Solomon. Uh, Bayek. Yeah. Um, and he's in, you know, 1980s America, then it comes yeah. over to his family. And it's uh, it's just a different world and seeing how it's built up and, and over the course of her life is just really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, I, I think all the performances are really great. The, the older husband, um, uh, is it uh bike mazasu played by soji arai yeah i thought he was really really effective in the second episode right. the pachinko um, parlor owner yeah when they're talking about like trying to find i think trying to find his daughter um yeah yep solomon's and, like stepdaughter i think it is yeah who's she's been missing for for and, a while yeah uh just really uh effective the way that him and you know he, him and his wife have that conversation mm-hmm. together so a lot of uh a lot of really great performances. Everything looks great. I, th- I think if you care about like cinema, but like just care about like storytelling and things looking top notch and top notch filmmaking, you have to be checking this out. It's probably like you said, probably gonna be one of the best things of the year. Totally. Yeah. Also, great to see Jimmy Simpson. I feel like I haven't seen him in a while. He's been working. I looked it up, but like, I feel like I haven't seen him since Westworld, and obviously that's not the best compliment. <laughs> anymore so uh i think he, he plays an interesting role as of course an american expat in japan working with japanese people you know and even get on a as well who was in fast and furious 9 recently like so there's a lot of intrigue from all these different angles with the plot and because it's this like epic family tale across time periods of time the scope is truly what just really impresses me because they're nailing it so far. So I'm really excited to keep watching. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Check it out. Apple TV plus Pachinko. Why don't, we, why don't we move on to FX though, which had season three of Atlanta drop the first two episodes this past Thursday. Um, was it Wednesday? No, it had to be uh, Thursday, right? Yeah, Thursday night. Yep, Thursday night. Um, Atlanta's back. 
man. Um, been a minute. And, you know, I think <laughs> it has been a minute. Uh, what, three years 20, now? Spring 2018, Atlanta four season years. two. Four wow. years. Wow. Donna Glover and the rest of the cast, they're busy bees, man. They, they get up to <laughs> stuff. So it takes a while to uh, get everyone back together. And they realize that. So they shot seasons three and four back to back and announced that season four is the last one. So Atlanta will be over before we know it. But it's also just back after so long uh, away. So really exciting time because Atlanta made both of our uh, best shows of the 2010s, best shows of the decade, even though there was only two seasons of it. Like it, uh, I think the reputation at this point is precedes it. Like just an amazing half hour that kind of transcends what you expect from a, a show of that structure. Like it has such ambition, such uh, a wit and perspective that only, uh, you know, Donald Glover, Stephen Glover, and this writer's room could bring in terms of like the black experience. You know, it's this to have it come back now with everyone in the cast even more famous and more accomplished than they were at the time. Like, just a really exciting time. Can't wait to watch this week to week. Totally. And, you know, we, we get Hiro Mirai directing these first two episodes. He's directed many of the episodes um, yep. every season. So you have that classic Atlanta look to it. Um, and I guess three slaps and center clauses coming to town um, as premieres did kind of like surprise me because like you said, we've been waiting a long time and we only see Donald Glover for like two seconds at the very end of three slaps, you know, very Atlanta kind of subverting your expectations and telling this separate story um about these like two woke women and this uh child who wants to you know wants to get out of this you know terrible home and you know this bad situation and it just kind of keeps getting worse and worse really a horror story and i mean even before that the the cold open is almost like a horror movie in a way you know this uh black man this white man out in uh what lake was that it's lake lanier i think um, yeah i wasn't sure either yeah that, that was a really cool uh aside there for sure yeah um so just like a, a lot to digest i mean what was your just overall like take after watching the first two episodes yeah so uh, three slaps has been a bit polarizing because mm-hmm. it's a like you said it's a subversive return for the series uh you can even look at the episode descriptions basically trolling the audience with what they're communicating what they're saying uh donald almost predicting what uh people will think so in that sense, obviously, I respect the shit out of it. And I still enjoyed Three Slaps. Like, you know, I think uh, there's just the comment that you get from this creative group is really cool. And like, even if e- even if this story is technically like lifted from the headlines from a few years back because they made this series, they wrote this series a while ago. Like, even if that's the case, it still feels like 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 super super relevant to me you know and like there's always just like little lines that like they will throw in there like like when the when the late the ladies are like rihanna used the word spirit animal oh we have to comment on this you know it's just like they they know how to skewer stuff just right without beating you over the head with it um you know does she have a native heritage that we don't know about you know like does she have native blood that we don't know about yeah i agree 
T- telling telling uh Aquarius was it Laquarius? Yeah, telling Laquarius to like sing a song while he's working, literally like obvious yeah. nod to like slaves Slavery. on the plantation, mm-hmm. obviously. And then he starts busting out to like NBA young boys make no sense. <laughs> <laughs> so great, you know. Uh yeah. Yeah. I I the whole bit with the with the police officer oh and how they God. play that up, you know, it's I mean, obviously this is the series that brought us BAN and Juneteenth and Teddy Perkins. Like they're so thoughtful in everything about this show that like even if this is clearly like a one off file episode that doesn't necessarily make any sense it's totally cool because atlanta was never a serialized series in the first place al's rap career is always on the periphery through the first two seasons it's not like that's what we watch so i wasn't super surprised because it didn't actually seem that out of character for how atlanta tells its stories yeah no i i wasn't like super surprised but i definitely was like a little bit i i taken aback because you just have such a long layoff and to not get any of the crew in the first episode is such a choice you know but also a Stephen Glover written episode so you're always gonna get something interesting when Stephen Glover's writing uh he, he's only writing one of the first uh six episodes so they haven't announced who wrote the last four so I, I wonder if he'll be I'm sure he's still in the room for there. yeah definitely um, I, I definitely liked the second episode. Sinterklaas is coming to town a little bit more. You know, you yeah, obviously get the crew back and being with them is great. Yeah. Um, Amsterdam. Yeah. And, you know, uh, like you said, there, there's a step forward um, in um, Al's career. So you get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more to go with uh, for Paperboy to be doing uh, kind of being a bit of a prima donna, it seems, which is always yeah. fun. Um, and it, it's nice to see Ern like being competent, which I think was something that like, I was like, are we just going to see Ern kind of doing the same old shit, not knowing what the hell he's doing and right. see him actually be like, you know, somewhat experienced was kind of nice. Right. It, it, he's still Ern though. Like he still misses, yeah. his, almost misses his flight, has to track down a lost laptop, but he can still handle stuff. Right. You know, he's like at the end when uh Paperboy uh, unsurprisingly doesn't want to perform, he's like, fuck it, dude follow the insurance you'll make more money anyway like he's actually yeah. handling it but i loved how it ended because at oh. the end what's he do he gets up out of bed at four in the morning to bring al a bunch of wings um you know he he, he like sighs he knows that he's using albert albert's his his meal ticket to a better life and he sucks it up and does it you know yeah. um but just kind of watching everyone do their thing it's i think it's just really um it's really really fun to be back with this group you know yeah. and i i think uh, van and darius their stuff was great too yeah you know you don't really get a lot of darius in this episode but obviously when lakeith is in this character he just yeah. is such a presence but and kills the line readings are just amazing <laughs> they always are like he could say anything and you're just like on every word with him <laughs> yeah what do you say like um I'm, like in my religion right now or like this is my religion just like being in amsterdam like whatever he says or i'm with god like just in amsterdam it's just amazing like the way it introduces him and then i thought it was a nice episode for van you know mm-hmm. you you kind of see some growth from her as well she's on this trip with you know not really with Ern, but kind of you know not even really sure what what the deal is and 
to have her like go through this experience of uh meeting Tupac who was alive and now dead in Amsterdam and yeah. being the last person to like speak to him and the way that that happened was yeah oh my god dude just like, <laughs> it's the sort of thing that like you come to expect from the show but still like blows you away because you're like how the hell do they think of this yeah. like ridiculous shit yeah I mean, um, that's what they do they, they experiment and jump around with genre and tone and yeah it's unlike anything else it's great um also just interesting to see if they're gonna go like covid route you know earn coughing throughout the episode i wonder if that's mm-hmm. just like a bit of a like a little bit of a red herring or if there's gonna be more oh, to no. come from that so I hope not. <laughs> yeah we'll we'll see i mean i i have confidence that if they choose if they choose to go that route that they'll do it in a thoughtful and interesting way but mm-hmm. um definitely something to be thinking about I, this is like probably the the one of the handful of shows that i really want to stay up on like i don't want the episode to get too far beyond the uh release date because people just talk about it there's so much yeah. discourse so if you're if you like atlanta recommend staying on top of the episodes because there's a lot of good discourse to go along with it and people know this by now but atlanta is the best thing dong lover has ever done he's a very famous and experienced guy at this point but i mean this this is his masterwork so best enjoy it why don't we uh move on to music again but in a different sense here um so before we get to grammys which are going to be coming up we should talk about the tragic and untimely passing of taylor hawkins the drummer for foo fighters and uh you know someone that's seen foo fighters two or three times in person but been a fan since uh you know probably my teenagers i'd say um became more of a fan as i uh, got into like festivals and they were kind of becoming like the legendary rock act of uh the mid 2010s and, and on taylor hawkins just always stood out whenever you saw the foo fighters because uh he's such a fun loving presence i mean if you see the picture behind me on youtube it's him playing the drums with like this huge smile and that was pretty much how he was the entire time not only like a world-class drummer but just seemed like a genuinely like upbeat and nice and charismatic person obviously i think the relationship with him and dave Grohl is well documented but just that they were incredibly uh close you know dave Grohl described him in i think his most recent book as like a, a brother like a legitimately saw him as a brother and like a musical soul soulmate i think he said um and to be a drummer good enough to uh be in a band with dave Grohl, who arguably is one of the best drummers from the 1990s uh with coming up with one of the biggest bands of all time um says a lot about Tyler Hawkins talent and he always brought it so uh dying at 50 pretty tragically was was really shocking um especially because they had just played the night before um for Lollapalooza South America so definitely the Lollapalooza Brazil I should say um definitely um very very sad I mean Dave I know you're not as big of a Foo Fighter fan but what was just your initial reaction seeing it yeah obviously he's very unexpected very sad um I was just really just thinking, like, what's the future of the band? You know, because yeah. Foo Fighters, we talked about Medicine at Midnight last year, early 2021 album, their 10th record. And honestly, pretty solid. Especially, very good for a 10th record, you know? Uh, they definitely didn't seem like there's any signs of them slowing down. 
And not that Taylor Hawkins was a founding member of the band. He wasn't. He joined later, but clearly is a huge part of the band today. And like he's, his charisma, I think, really shone through. And especially in like live performances, there's countless moments of him like helping Dave Grohl when his voice started to go during a set or something and singing himself, yeah. you know? So I think for, for Foo Fighters fans, it's a really tragic loss. And you just hope like the fabric of the band can continue. Obviously, we associate Dave Grohl as like the central figure of Foo Fighters, obviously, as the founder and, and figurehead. But you hope that he can kind of galvanize the group. I, I'd imagine they're going to take some time away after this. But um, also something I didn't know until I was, you know, reading up after he passed. But I didn't realize that Taylor Hawkins actually came up of in Alanis Morissette's touring band when she yeah. was touring Giant Little Pill. So uh, quite the career for him. It's just really, really sad that to see it go because Foo Fighters, you know, arguably the biggest, most successful, most well-liked of the big rock bands of yore that are still going. So yeah, it's a, it's a really tough one. I'm curious to see what happens at the Grammys uh, this week because before this had happened, Foo Fighters were expected to win Best Rock Album for Medicine at Midnight. I have to imagine the speech would be dedicated in, to Taylor. And you certainly hope that this is a big part of the broadcast now. That that award. Yeah. I imagine there's probably going to be a pretty big um, like moment for him, uh, for sure. You know, uh, just like uh, a couple of like moments from seeing him live that I just wanted to share. First, when the first time I saw them live was at Firefly 2014. And uh, it was their first time playing together as a band in like a few years, um, that, that tour. And it, they came out as the Holy Shits uh, for their encore, which was this like basically this like bar cover band that just played like classic rock hits. And uh, after their set, there's like a video on the screen of Dave and, and Taylor Hawkins backstage. And Taylor Hawkins is like, we got to give him at least one more song. Dave Grohl's like, all right, one more. And then Taylor Hawkins is like, no, 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 two, two. And he like got all, all the way up to five. And it was like a great back and forth between them. You obviously saw like how much they like really liked like being in a band together, which, which was cool. And then he came out and he sang one of the songs. And uh, I think it was, I thought it was Under Pressure or Somebody to Love. I can't remember exactly which one he sang, but um, just a, a really talented musician beyond drumming. So um, he, he actually had a pretty decent voice, which is pretty cool that Dave Grohl found a, a drummer for his band who also could sing. Um, and then, yeah, just seeing them live at City Field a few years after that, um, that that's when Dave Grohl was on the, uh, the throne of guitars. Right. And uh, obviously takes away a little bit of the show because Dave can't run around and be his normal self at that point. But it was always just like a joy to watch Taylor Hawkins play drums. Cause he just was like, he's like animal from the, the Muppets dude, just like the energy he brought and the way he was just like slamming on stuff and never missing a beat. Just uh truly a legend. Um, definitely a huge loss for rock music, but yeah. Um, definitely big rip. Why don't we move forward to what you alluded to, which is the Grammy awards, which will be, Hosted by Trevor Noah this coming Sunday, Dave. We don't we don't really care about the Grammys, but it's fun to predict them, right? It is. Also, I would like to care more about them in the future. You know, there's a lot going on with that. You need a big artist to want to care as well. Obviously, the weekend has had his beef. Drake very perplexingly pulled his nominations after getting them, which kind of feels like he 
took his ball and went home kind of deal when he didn't get as many nominations as he wanted. Either way, people are up and down uh, on the Grammys in the industry. You hope they can fix that. But it's still fun to predict. We did a whole big thing on what we thought should be nominated last fall. So a lot of things, of course, were not nominated. We now know what has been. So now we have to decide who will win. You know, not necessarily who should win, but who will end up winning. So, uh, I mean, where do you want to start with this? Do you want to start with like the big ones and work back? Or do you want to start from some of the smaller ones and work our way up? You know, I kind of think we should start with the big ones just because that's kind of like the identity of the Grammys year to year to me, right? Like uh, two Grammys ago, it was the Billie Eilish Grammys where she sweeps the general field, right? That's kind of all I remember because <laughs> yep. I look it up, you know? Yeah. Uh, further, further back, you have what? Bruno Mars beats Kendrick. Macklemore beats Kendrick. Like it's always like moments and battles that stand out to me more often than not. And this year, I think there's a pretty obvious corollary to the Billie Eilish year, and that, of course, is Olivia Rodrigo, who is in position to perhaps pull off the same feat. Yeah, it's interesting though because she's going up against Billie, who just won a Grammy. Um, yeah. is an unstoppable awards show uh, for an Oscar. You mean? Sorry, yes, won an Oscar. Thank you. Already um, won a Grammy for that song as well. <laughs> yeah. So, um, t- tough sledding for Olivia Rodrigo. However, it does feel like she's a shoe in probably for uh, best new artist, which we will circle back to. But uh, it feels like she's definitely going to win that, and so you'll at least get one moment. Are we going to get multiple Olivia Rodrigo moments? It feels probable, but yeah, I, th- I, I think you're right. Let's start with album of the year. Um, you mentioned Olivia Rodrigo for Sour um, is nominated. I'm going to read through the rest of them. John Batiste for We Are, Tony Bennett, Lady Gaga, Love for Sale, Justin Bieber, Justice, Triple Chucks, Deluxe, Doja Cat, Planet Her, Billie Eilish, Happier Than Ever, Her, Back in My Mind, Lil Nas X, Montero. Taylor Swift, Evermore, and Kanye West, Donda. Um, truly baffling list of albums that is <laughs> nominated. Uh, yeah, John Batiste, the most nominated artist this year, coming right off of uh, co-creating the score for Pixar Soul. And now he's perhaps going to clean up at the Grammys. How about that? Well, it's... Yeah. I mean, good, good for him. He's a great artist. Uh, you know, I think, think he's fantastic. Just like so weird to read this list. Uh, back in my mind from her was literally an album that we like detested. Like just thought was absolutely trash. Uh, and to have that in, in Donda, another album that was kind of mid for Kanye at best um, up against, you know, sour and happier than ever. I actually don't know if there's like an album in this list. I would say is like a really great album. Maybe Planet Her is the closest. Yeah. You know? Planet Her is my favorite of everything nominated here. I think more populously, Sour is probably the most popular album here. Yeah. You know? But yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the other Taylor album. It's not ever, it's not a folklore. folklore. It's evermore. So, like, it's 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 a lesser record. Um, Donda goes without saying. Montero. Didn't love Montero. I like parts of it, but Will Azex is still a work in progress. I definitely didn't think he dropped an album of the year caliber record. But this is what happens at the Grammys. They're just, it's not super accurate to what more critically inclined people might think. 
alas, here we are. Uh, I think it's still good that something like Sour is here because Sour, to many people, was the album of the year because Olivia was truly the artist of the year. So if it does go that way, then there's really nothing to worry about. Do you, do you predict that, that Olivia's going to win this? Good question. I kind of feel like she has a really good chance for the Billy 5 for 5. I really do. Just because who are they going to pick instead? Unless it's like John Baptiste or Tony Bennett or something. That could always happen. But like, Olivia's not losing to Lil Nas X. She's not losing to Justin Bieber. She's not losing to Doja. You know, maybe she could lose to Taylor. And she could certainly lose to Billy. Billy, of course, won, was a record of the year last year for everything I wanted. Or the song of the year. She won one of them last year. Super unexpected. And not what most people would have picked for kind of a one-off Billy single. To have Billy win that award back-to-back. Then again, the Billie Eilish hype is still that high within the Recording Academy. Maybe Billie does it again. Who can say? Yeah, I think I'm actually probably going to, uh, if if we're making picks, I'm going to pick Billie to win it. Although I really hope Olivia does win. I hope she just has like a huge night because it feels like this should be an anointing of her. However, in most years, this probably would be a, a year where they kind of anoint Doja Cat as well. You know, Doja similarly blew up last year, and or at least between the last Grammys and now. So, uh, you know, it's kind of tough beat for her, but Olivia just is kind of like the one, you know, the anointed one in some sense. Right. There. Yeah. Um, why don't we go on to Song of the Year, which, I mean, another just completely... <laughs> baffling list ed sheeran bad habits alicia keys and brandy carlisle a beautiful noise olivia olivia rodrigo driver's license her fight for you billy eilish happier than ever doja cat kiss me more featuring sizza silk sonic leave the door open Lil nas x montero call me by your name justin bieber peaches and brandy carlisle right on time Woo. never would have put these songs on any playlist together never would have mentioned them in this order but here we are um I mean, the driver's license is probably going to be the winner. Uh, yeah, you'd hope so. It's just really funny to see what the because remember the artists submit what they want to for each category to be up for nomination. It's just funny to see like happier than ever title track. That's the Billy joint she picked. You know, Peaches. Yeah. That's the Bieber one he picked. It was the biggest hit, but it's not the best song off your album, bro. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, I think there's like three really great choices here driver's license kiss me more and leave the door open yep i'd i wouldn't be shocked for like a surprise leave the door open win of course bruno and more recently anderson pop are also grammy darlings in their own right so and don't write off billy as you just said but yeah it feels like driver's license needs to win because that also really kind of feels like the, the the track of the year you know yeah completely agree um I think that would be my pick, but if there is one to upset it, I could, I could maybe see them giving Montero, like, like a nod just to give little little Nas X some love. I don't know. That's a weird one because song of the year specifically for the song writing, and obviously that's, that's the biggest strength for Driver's License is Olivia's songwriting. Mm-hmm. So, tough well then, one. you know what? Actually, you made a good point. It could be her. Honestly, that. <laughs> Could be fight for if you, her which... wins, man. That would be that would be bad. That's just bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't think that's what's gonna happen. But um, I'm gonna go with driver's license. But yeah, if there's an upset, it probably would be her. 
unfortunately. You know, why don't we just hit record of the year quick too? Yeah. Which uh, a lot of the you... same songs, like it usually is. Yeah, except you have uh, ABBA. I still have faith in you. Freedom from John Baptiste. Uh, I get a kick out of you from Tony Bennett. Uh, Lady Gaga. Um, any others here that are different? Nope. Uh, you know, you take out that Sheeran track. You take out the uh, Alicia Keys track, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a couple others, but. I think this will probably be driver's license as well. Um, I think it'll probably be one the same. Um, I don't know. Is there one that the production stands out where you could say, ah, maybe that'll hold the upset? Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously Dan, uh, Dan Nigro for, you know, produced basically all of Sour, right? Yeah. I don't know if we would call driver's license like the best bit of song craft off sour of course that's what they submitted for here because i think they can win with it but like not my top choice for here i would have loved brutal or good for you to be here instead yeah Alas, yeah like what leave the door open perhaps has a better case you know for the record of the year criteria but yeah i mean again if, if i'm thinking billy billy sweep it feels this is very much like the billy sweep where bad guy basically did the same thing wins both yeah, I think that's probably what what will happen. I do think if there's uh, a track that deserves record of the year, it probably would be "Kiss Me More." You know, as the yep. upset. I, I think that that's a really, song. I think that's a really well produced song there. So, um, all right, best new artists we Wait, have. Who made oh, "Kiss Me More"? Uh, by Doctor Luke. No, Roger. No, Shahid. Um, Tis himself and Yeti Beats. Some of the other okay, yeah, yes. never mind. Yep, yeah, time. I don't think they would nominate him because I don't think he would win. Um, best new artist we have Aruj Aftab, Jimmy Allen, Baby Keem, Phineas, that brand new band Glass Animals, <laughs> Japanese Breakfast, The Kid Leroy, Arlo Parks, Olivia Rodrigo, and Saweetie. I mean, this is again like the, the bastardization of this category. Best new artist Glass Animals has like three or four albums at this point. We we went long on best new artists when we talked about the nominations and the fact that the definition is garbage. The fact that you can submit yourself three different years for best new artists when we think of how long a Grammy cycle is completely destroys the definition of new. We went through this. I mean, recall Blackpink was still eligible for best new artists for this Grammy. Insane. And somehow they don't pick her. Pick them, of course. Makes no sense. Alas there's some good picks here for sure. I like the most of these nominations just fine, but obviously Olivia Rodrigo is the only one in any of the other big categories. So thus she's a, a lock to win this. Yeah. Uh, if, if the odds are even anywhere close to, you know, decent, just, just lock it up, take the free money. At this I guess point. if there was ever one thing, if Olivia somehow does not have a good night at all, and it's a big Billy night, perhaps Phineas wins best new artist. That's the yeah. only other scenario I could see in this category. Yep. Um, all right. So why don't we move on to pop now? I mean, we don't need to hit every category in pop. Yeah. Uh, best pop solo performance. Do you have any thoughts on that? Another driver's license win. I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Just if we recall last Grammys, Dua Lipa wins pop vocal album for Future Nostalgia, beating Taylor Swift folklore. But then if we recall later, Taylor did win album of the year, beating Dua and everyone else for folklore. So Point. it's not necessarily like 
other award shows where like smaller awards automatically cascade the big ones. So they can spread the love. Something to keep in mind here. So driver's license, not necessarily a lock to win pop solo performance here. Perhaps this is where they throw Billy another bone. But, you know, if you're predicting a big night for Olivia, you probably think she wins here again. Yeah, I, I think Olivia will probably win um, probably best pop solo performance for duo or group. I would love to see BTS get the yeah. the nod for Butter. Um, really would. I, I bet it will probably be Coldplay. <laughs> but uh, would that'd love be to tough also- too. Kiss Me More is up for record and song. Doesn't get them as we expect. And then doesn't yeah. even get this support either. That would be a bad beat be for tough. <laughs> Yeah, and I think probably best pop vocal album gonna be Olivia. Um, just, uh, I think you can lock that one in, but maybe Billy will pull off the upset. I don't know. Yeah, it's it just a feels good category, you know. It's a I, I strong love, category. I love Planet Her, of course. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, any any thoughts on the like dance electronic music section? Do you have a strong opinion on any of these? Not really. Obviously, Hundred Gex completely snubbed. Tough, tough beat. It's, it's really interesting um, to see the evolution of Sylvanesso to me, who went from being this like, I don't know, like really toned down uh, like indie group to apparently they're in the EDM category, which I haven't yeah. checked in on them recently. Cool. <laughs> More synth pop last I checked, but they're going up against Marshmallow here. Yeah, uh, the fact that Marshmallow is nominated tells you a lot, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we uh, move on to rock? Why don't we move on to a category that we might actually care yeah. about a little bit? Um, best, I don't know, best rock song. Let's do that. Um, I don't know. Waiting on a war, maybe. Yeah. Honestly, know. you got Foo Fighters, best rock song, Waiting on a War. And then you have Foo Fighters, best rock performance, Making a Fire. Those are my favorite songs in both those categories. And I haven't yeah. heard all the other songs, to be clear. Um, <laughs> like best rock song, you have a late period Weezer joint, the late period Kings of Leon. Paul McCartney, you know, and, uh, Mammoth WVH, like the rock categories in the 2010s. They're very uh, hit or miss. Not that much is clear. Best rock performance is actually a really interesting category, right? Because you have the Foo Fighters making a fire, which is probably the best song there. Nothing compares to you. The Chris Cornell uh, cover is an amazing cover that he recorded in like 2014, but was released after he died. So, you know, could get a posthumous nod there. And you have the Black Pumas, who, similar to her, are like a Grammy darling. So right. yep. I think any they of those were, three uh, could take it. nominee that. last year for the deluxe version. Yep. So I think any of those three could take it. My, my money would be on making a fire, but I could see nothing compares to you just for like the Chris mm-hmm. Cornell moment. Um, yeah, and best rock song, I think it's got to be like Waiting on a War, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I guess none of these songs really jump out. Yeah, best rock album. I think you can lock up the Foo Fighters, though. Yeah, uh, just keep an eye on Black Pumas. I mean, unless they really like give McCartney some love, but yeah, I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. I don't even think he'll show up for this. Yeah, oh, definitely not. I think alternative music album is kind of interesting, just because. Uh, good category: Fleet Foxes, St. Vincent, Arlo Park, Chapman's Breakfast, and Halsey. If Halsey was to win for her rock pivot, it would be her first Grammy win. I don't see it. I think this is going to be St. Vincent just because St. Vincent always wins at the Grammys for this category. But I would love to see Japanese Breakfast get some love here. Because uh, 
they would be my pick for best new artist in most years. So, right. Um, R&B, any thoughts in these categories? Anything stand out? Silk well, Sonic. So hers there, please no. Uh, Silk <laughs> Sonic, you would expect big nominations, but man, it would be great for Jasmine Sullivan just because she got so yeah. much love with Hotels in 2021 after having a very long career. Um, I don't necessarily see it. I'm glad she's at least recognized here, but yeah, it kind of feels like Silk Sonic, right? They Grammys love them some Bruno. Yeah, I would love to see uh, Leave the Door Open win for like best R&B song or something in here. I'd love to see Silk Sonic. Um, honestly, like you said, them or Jasmine Sullivan would be great for most of these categories. Even Leon Bridges, I like I like him. And he's, I mean, that best traditional R and B performance category with John Batiste, Leon Bridges, and her. I mean, mm-hmm. three Grammy darlings. I don't know how they're going to pick between them. Right. Tough. Tough for the. Uh, I mean, John Batiste has to win something as the most nominated person at the on the night, right? <laughs> yeah. Also, funny that like best R and B album we don't get Silk Sonic somehow. Like, that is that is a great call, yeah. That's <laughs> doesn't these categories never make sense to Shout me. Out Jasmine Sullivan, though. That's the best pick in that that yeah. category for sure. Hope she takes it home. Okay, Dave. Now we're into your wheelhouse rap. I mean, best rap performance you got. Yeah, this is uh this is an interesting category, right? Only four shit from Megan. I don't love my life from Cold Twenty One and Moray. Up is a good Cardi song. It is. But I think it's family ties, man. I think yeah. Keem, Kendrick Connection, he's best new artist nominated. I think Keem's gonna win, and honestly, I really can't can't have a problem with that. I I love the Keem record, and that's one of the biggest bangers on it. Yeah, I, I think I think that's probably the one that fits best for the description. But if it's up, I wouldn't be too sad either. Always yeah. always nice to have Cardi uh, speaking live. So. Yeah, look up the tweet of her at Disney World in the teacup with culture and her oh my security God. guard in the corresponding teacup, <laughs> ruling everyone. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> um, any thoughts on best melodic rap performance? Uh, yeah, this. So I think this is a pretty inspired group of nominations, all things yeah. considered. Need to know wouldn't have been my Doja choice. I'm glad Doja's still there. Um, the fact that. The Tyler song that got in is the one. What's your name? It's really funny. Oh, uh, you look malnourished. <laughs> I mean, my pick is obviously Hurricane. That was my number one song of 2021. Yeah. But I just kind of have a feeling that Industry Baby from Nas X is going to win with Jack. I, I hope know. you're wrong. <laughs> I, it's it's a good song, but I just feel like What's Your Name or Hurricane would be better choices for that honestly kanye watching the will smith drama he's excited for the grammys baby (laughs) stop (laughs) yo if pete davidson's there this could get ugly but don't know why he would be i guess um best rap song bass salts best friend family ties jail my life i mean you love jail so i know you're gonna go there right so i'm not a fan of jail I mean, family, family ties, ties again? again would be kind of boring. Honestly, you know what my pick would be here? It'd be best friend, Sweetie and Doja. That shit's great. That's a I mean, dude. I would love it if they did that. I, I don't see them doing it, but I would no, love it if they do. did. It's probably double family ties. <laughs> best rap album, Dave. Why don't we finish up here? Interesting one here because last year Nas won for King's Disease 1. He's back here again with King's Disease 2, which is a better album than King's Disease 1. And then, of course, you have Todd the Creator. Last time he won this category for Igor. 
And then you have Kanye, who's won the category before and is currently up for album of the year. And Cole's also there too. So tough, tough to call, man. It's probably going Kanye's way, but I mean, my pick is is Tyler. But also, don't count out Nas. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna call my shot. It's gonna be Tyler. They're gonna anoint him. If he's finally gonna get the love he right. he deserves. Yeah. And Kanye, they just, I mean, come on, seriously, for this album, this is when you're gonna reward him. Seriously, no, tough one. <laughs> Anyways, any last thoughts or predictions for the Grammys? Um, the Latin category. I just wanted to check on. Uh, I believe it's the Latin, Latin pop. Yeah, Latin okay. pop album. Selena Gomez is nominated for Revelacion, that EP that we oh, talked about. Nice. Um, if she was to win, she would win her first Grammy as well. Kind of interesting because you look at those Latin categories, uh, all the heavy hitters are actually in the other category, Musica Urbana. That's where Rod Alejandro and Bunny and Balvin and Carol G and Caliuchis are. So Selena is kind of going up against the B team there. So possible possible that selena could get in for the uh you know her the latin pivot that she kind of just came up with out of nowhere with revelacion love that i'm interested to see how that goes yeah i mean i think that that's it for me i I expect we're gonna see a lot of olivia rodrigo probably a lot of doja cat um there'll probably be some sort of like rock medley or tribute to taylor hawkins i imagine right Uh, bts is performing that's great Yes. Forward to that. I wonder if it's just butter, or maybe they do the medley with permission to dance as well. I hope so. Uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna do it for us this week, Dave. What should the people be doing for next week? So next week, because it's all the rage award shows, we're gonna be doing our 2023 early Oscar predictions. Also doubles as like a general movie preview for the year to come. <laughs> Excited about that. Also, Marvel's back because they're always right around the corner. Moon Knight. Comes out on Wednesday on Disney Plus. Oscar Isaac never ends. Different side of Marvel comes out on theaters. Jared Leto, Sony. Oh God, Morbius. We'll see how much we get into there because there's another <laughs> movie coming out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The Daniels movie starring Michelle Yao that is getting spectacular reviews as this wild multiverse action film original, of course. So that's probably significantly more exciting than Morbius, so keep an eye out for that. Also, uh, early next week, K-pop Big Bang is coming back after several years away. You know, the the longest-running active male K-pop group right now, obviously, the group of G-Dragon. So, very notable. And excited to find out what the hell that album sounds like at the end of the day. Well, if you want to Stay tuned for all that and more. Hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash nostalgiapod and follow us uh, on Spotify, Nostalgia Pod. Give us that five-star rating. We'll catch you all next week. Hey.